Welcome to the Fabric Podcast. This series of episodes is called How Much is Enough? And our hope is to dig into conversations about money. These episodes were captured as part of a live gathering in Minneapolis, and we're so glad you're joining the conversation now. This is our fourth week talking about money. If you're brand new to this conversation, if you just got here, you can uh, catch up, you can listen to the podcast and so on. And some of you after, you know, four weeks, like, is there anything more to say? Uh, well, um, let's put it this way. Dealing with your money is like shoveling your sidewalk. Anybody shovel their sidewalk this week? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all did. Shoveling your sidewalk is not something you do just once, right? I mean, here in Minnesota, shoveling your sidewalk isn't a job, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, and, and likewise, uh, dealing with your money, keeping your money in the right place with your life isn't just a job, it's a lifestyle. It is a, a way of living. And yes, there are lots of nooks and crannies that we haven't yet explored. And today I want to talk a little bit about some of the traps that can just kind of keep us stuck in those places where money is not serving us, isn't working in our lives at all, and maybe what we can do about it a little bit. In fact, this is really kind of a, a big aspect of this whole focus on how much is enough that I hope you take away with you, and that is that being in the right relationship with your money isn't just a job. It is going to be a lifetime thing that you will continue to work with, you'll be wrestling with. Um, it's a lifelong pursuit. Um, you know, people often look at money as math, right? It, I mean, it's simple. It's addition and it's subtraction. You either have enough money coming in to pay for the money for what's going out, or you don't, and that's it, right? What's so complicated about it? Well, the truth is there's a lot more going on around your money than just math. There's, for instance, your personality and the programming you have. Uh, let me just say a little bit about that. First of all, um, all of you grew up in a household that had a way of dealing with money. If you had two parents, you grew up in a household that had two ways of dealing with money. <laughs> and, uh, but nonetheless, that package, whatever that looked like, was what how families deal with money. And that's what you learned. And now that you've grown up, no matter whether you think that was good or bad or whether you're trying to replicate it or not, when push comes to shove and you get into these money situations, that programming, those tapes that got recorded as a kid, someone hits play on them and you start repeating what you grew up with. You have instincts that pull you that direction. That's your programming. Then there's your personality, your money personality, that is. Um, are you a saver? Or are you a spender? Are you a risk taker? Or are you a security seeker? Are you a high flyer or a reality avoider? Now, you have certain personality-related personality leanings towards how you live with money, and those are a lot of times going to trump your logic and your clear thinking about what you probably ought to do and what you would choose if you didn't have all those other influences going on inside you. And kind of like I alluded to before, if you have a life partner, I've done a lot of work with couples over the years, and I'd be more than willing to put a couple bucks on the table that says you and your life partner have different ways of handling money. In fact, I'll put a few more dollars on the table and say not only different, but maybe even kind of opposite ways of doing it. Now, this is a series of money. I am not endorsing gambling. This is a sure bet, folks. Like, I will win that money. 
at least for most of you. So that I want to look at these relationships with their money. And I'm going to oversimplify this a little bit um, and talk about three kinds of relationships with their money. And you got to decide kind of like, how do you fit in the spectrum? What, how it represents you, okay? The, the first relationship with their money is, I'm out of control, right? Uh, you're drowning. If you're not in control, guess what is in control? Your money, right? I, I don't think we want to be there. It, it might be because you spend more money than you make, or it might be because you just have enough money that you don't have to worry about it, and you have learned to trust your money to take care of your purposes, all the stuff you're looking for in your life, your security, your happiness, your meaning, and so on. Stuff that your money really isn't going to be able to do. And uh, sooner or later, it's going to leave you empty, and you're not going to know why. You're out of control. And, and by the way, all of us are in this out-of-control state from one direction or another, sometimes in our lives. This isn't a, you know, a judgment. This isn't a, to make you feel guilty or feel shame. It's about self-assessment so that we can decide what to do next. So anyway, that, that, first, uh, that first relationship with the money, I'm out of control, I'm, I'm drowning. The next is, I'm a manager, right? I'm a manager. You've got your financial head above water. Congratulations, that's fantastic. You're in control, at least, your income equals or is greater than your expenses, okay? So that's nice, you're not drowning anymore, ends meet, but that's really not the end of the line of it, is it? I mean, there may not be any savings in that equation, and you know, it's maybe not the most exciting thing. I mean, do you think just like having your income exceed your expenses is sort of the ultimate goal of what you could do, who you could be with your money. And, you know, that word manager, that title manager, doesn't excite me very much. You know, I, I think there's got to be something that's a little bit more inspiring in our relationship with our money. So that's the third relationship, maybe the other end of the spectrum that I would like to say, and that is I am a steward. Okay, that's an old word. It may feel kind of antiquated and boring to you. You know, I, I get it, I get it. But, but there's a lot of promise there. It goes with this idea that you are in charge of something that doesn't belong to you. And it is to be stewarded. It is to be used in ways that fulfill the purpose for which it was, it was intended. Not just what you want, but for what it was intended. And that actually is a fulfillment of the money and your role as a steward. Okay, you may remember three weeks ago, uh, I, I said this and I don't know if you agreed with me or not. Um, you know, you can think about that yourself and decide what your own heart tells you. But what I said is, your money, that is your income, your savings, your 401k, your, your house, whatever, you know, all that stuff, your money, your wealth, your material possessions, they aren't yours. There, there's no way this stuff is ours. I mean, we didn't come up with it, right? It isn't yours, but you are in charge of it. It's been entrusted to you. It is in your hands, all right? Now, you are a steward of all that is in your hands, and so am I. We all are. A steward isn't drowning. A steward doesn't just have their head above water. The steward is soaring, going places, doing things, making things happen with their money, their wealth, and their material possessions that have been entrusted to them. The relationship with your money, then, is purposeful. It's uh, not your purposeful with what you earn and how you earn it, with how you use it, and how you possess it. All of those expressing your deeper value. 
And they all help you weave yourself tighter with the world and the people around you, with your inner self, with all things, because you are connecting the stuff that has been trusted with you with where it belongs and what it actually is intended to do in our world. And I must add that being a steward does not depend on how much money you have. Now, like I've been saying, it isn't about how much money you have, it's your relationship with that money, right? It's not a math issue, it's a relationship issue. In fact, I, I might, you might think that it's a lot easier to do this, to be a steward if you have a lot of money, but reality teaches us otherwise, doesn't it? I mean, people with a lot of money aren't necessarily more responsible with how they use their money than people that don't have much money. I mean, have you noticed that? I, um, I, I just love this quote from Steve Martin, comedy, right? But he was telling the truth in a lot of ways, reflecting on his life when he started making a lot of money. He, he said this, he said, I love money. I love everything about it. I bought some pretty good stuff. I got me a $300 pair of socks. I got a fur sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline-powered turtleneck sweater, and of course I bought some dumb stuff too. You know, uh, yeah, you know, stewardship and, you know, and how much money you have are correlated kind of like the color pink and houses. Sometimes you do find a house that is pink, but life kind of teaches you not to expect it, right? So, you know, that's something for us to remember and not to think that this is something that's only for people that have a lot of money. So what is it that keeps you from being steward? What keeps me from being a steward? There are some traps out there that um, are focused on you're not ever really achieving that kind of relationship with your money because it isn't to their advantage to have you do it, right? They would rather you be out of control of your finances so that they can be in control of your finances. And um, you know all these already, but I want to mention a few of them and, and drill down into a couple of these traps. And the first one is credit cards. Credit cards. Uh, anybody have a, I, I meant to bring one um, for an illustration, but do you have a credit card? You got, do you have one? Can you dig it out for me for a second? Just, you know, illustrative purposes is all. I'm giving you a lot of trust here. <laughs> there are witnesses. Ooh, nice. Uh, live stream, can you get a close-up of that? <laughs> Backside, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, 0824. Um, yeah, anyway, but you know these things, they're so nice and they're so convenient, right? I mean, you just can buy stuff with these things. And you, the neat thing today is you don't even need this. You just need your phone, right? You, you know, open it up and you got Google Pay, you got Apple Pay, and voila, you bought it, it's yours. I mean, that, that is so, so cool, uh, everything we ever wanted. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there's a problem with all of that, too. Uh, you know, they just lure you in, I mean, shiny and nice. I mean, they make them look, really look attractive. The, the pictures and names that make you feel really special to have that credit card. Does anybody, I mean, you don't have to give yours to me, but who here has a credit card? Like, no, you're not with you right now, but you have a credit card. Wow, you must be really special people, yeah. You know, no, I mean, they just want you to have these credit cards, right, because it's all to their advantage for you to have them. Now, I am not anti-credit card. Having a credit card and using them to, well, it's almost a necessity, but it can be very smart. That's, that's not a problem, that's not my issue. Um, they have sense, they, they make sense to have and to use, but there's some stuff to know about them. Um, I did a little digging on the, uh, the federal government's 
just the fourth quarter statistics from 2022, so just a couple of months ago, right, on credit card ownership and usership in the United States. And what I found is that if you have a credit card, you have on average five credit cards. Do you really? Some people maybe need five credit cards. Do you really need five credit cards? If you have a credit card, the chances are that 53% of you, or 53% of your cards carries a balance. All right, so you're not paying it off month to month, 53%. And the average interest rate on that credit card at the end of 2022 was 19.07%. And new cards now in the beginning of 2023, the average is 23.55% interest on that credit card. And you're carrying a balance, or 53% of us are carrying a balance on that. Uh, in Minnesota, the average balance per person in our state is $7,217 on their credit cards, which is $67 below the national average, good for us, um, but $7,200. And um, our, if you're a student, the average credit card balance, and this was back in 2019, and, and this has gone up a lot, but the average student was carrying $3,280 on their credit cards. Yeah, um, our US credit card balance as a nation, at the end of 2022, $986 billion, the highest it's ever been, went up $130 billion in the last year. And it's not slowing down. Um, if you do carry a balance on your credit card here in the state of Minnesota, average, the average, uh, average interest paid last year was 1380 bucks double whammy, right? Because you not only couldn't pay for everything, but now you have 1000 or what, three, $1,380 less money to pay it with, right? Because you, you lost that in interest last year. So um, how, how does this debt work or how does this debt not work? I, I got a little illustration here for you. So let, let's just pretend you make $1,000. Boom, all right? So you, this month you made $1,000, but you spent $1,100. Well, that was $100 more than you had, right? So you got to pay that. So next month, you make your $1,000 again, but you only have 900 because 100 of it went to pay for last month's overspending, right? So this month, you once again, because you didn't change anything, you still spend $1,100, which means now you're $200 in the hole, right? So the next month, you still make your $1,000, but you actually only have 800 because your 200 went for last month. And you did do a good job of trimming a little bit, so you only spent $1,050 instead of $1,100. That was an improvement. But then in the next month, now you've only got $750 to pay your bills. I mean, you get the trend here, right? I mean, like, we all know this, but we don't all think about it. And we get stuck. You can see how this becomes a trap for us and how we just can't get out from underneath it. And imagine the pressure of that scenario going on in your life. Some of you are thinking, yeah, like I know this stuff calls and personal, right? Um, but it, it's, it's horrendous, okay? Now, problems with debt and the monetary demands of life are not moral failures and getting out of it isn't a moral victory. These are challenges. Right? We get stuck in these traps, it, and we just need to realize that these are things we can and need to figure out, and we need to be doing it together. It's stuff we have to wrestle with. So, you know, with credit cards, you got two options. Thank you, Shane. One, 
Use it, pay it off every month, okay? If not, I recommend plastic surgery. Sorry, Shane, I heard that. Nah, that was a setup, don't worry. Um, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> I fooled some, yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway, so debt, this is a serious issue. The complications that debt creates for us that look like math, and they seem like, well, these are just, you know, this is technical stuff, but no, no, it isn't. I mean, this is a spiritual issue. If you're living out that scenario you just saw, and the panic, the worry, if you think you're going to be able to follow all your inner values and live and be the right person you have under that pressure, you're fooling yourself. This is going to infect your relationships. This is going to infect your ability to live out your values. This is going to infect your ability to be the person that you want to be in this world. Your hands are tied. You are serving your money. It is in charge of you. You are not in charge of it anymore. Okay? You know, that's why we talk about this and why we have the goal for everyone connected in our community to have a plan to get out of this kind of unsecured debt and the support they need to figure it out and to get back on the plan when they fall off of it because that's what happens all the time, okay? You'll find in, in, in your Sunday paper, you got this little half sheet of paper. I don't know if you looked at it or not, but it's a debt repayment plan. Like, this is how to get out of this kind of debt. Now, there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all. This is a really good general guideline to follow, all right? Um, but tweak it. In fact, if you really have some serious debt there, don't just use a sheet. Go get some professional help and let them advise you because there's some changes in this for your unique situation that could really make a big difference, right? But this is a good place to start. This is a good place to start. If you don't need it, take it home. You're going to find someone who does need it. Or take it to work and leave it at the copy machine at your office and the person who needs it will find it, okay? So, it's a, a hope and a dream that we'd have, that we can uh, not have that trap keeping us from the relationships that we really want in our lives. Okay, so that's one. Um, another one of these traps is advertising. <clears throat> what can I say? You are exposed to between six and 10,000 media impressions every day. I mean, just think what that's adding up to within us. That, that's a lot, and the pace of that is accelerating. Google alone sold $134 billion worth of ads last year. Why do you think they do that? Because it doesn't work or because it does work? Yeah, I mean, it does. It does work. We buy stuff that we don't need and that we didn't know we wanted until we saw the ad, okay? Paul, who was... One of the writers in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, he spent his life trying to help other people understand the teachings of Jesus. He, he wrote this. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. Do not be conformed to this world. He did not say do not conform to this world. You live in this world. You've got to figure out how you're going to fit in, okay? He said, do not be conformed passive, right? Don't let something shape you the way they want to shape you into this world, right? Don't be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind, like having an open mind, thinking, understanding how things really work, and letting that decide who you're going to be, and let that change you, transform you, so that you can help create a world, not just get sucked into a world, all right? Don't be conformed. 
Figure this stuff off yourself. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Anyway, um, here's what advertising does if we don't remember what really matters to us. It turns our wants into needs, and it turns our world into things. Advertising turns our wants into needs and our world into things. Not such good things. Now, that doesn't mean that advertising and advertisers are all evil. Dustin Black, sitting up there in the corner. <laughs> He's an ad man. He did the welcome here a couple of weeks ago, right before the Super Bowl. And his company actually had a couple ads in the regional market, didn't you, for the Super Bowl? Yeah, like, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not perfect. <laughs> but I know him pretty well. He's not evil. Mimi? Yeah, she is. <laughs> you know, we'll see, we'll see. Okay, verdict's out there yet. No. You know, so he's not trying, the advertisers aren't trying to undo your life. Just give voice to your options. And, and that's what we need to remember, right? I mean, you are not going to stop the barrage of advertising in your life. It's going to be out there. What you can do is spend time discerning what really matters to you and then centering on those things so that the advertising becomes information, not persuasion for you. All right? This is really important. Help your kids, like, talk. When you're watching TV ads with your parents, Natalie and other kids, like talk about those things. Like, well, what is that? What's going on here? You know, what, what, what are they trying to do to me and stuff like that? So that's, that's an important thing to do. Um, okay, that, uh, advertise. That's, that's closely related to the next trap I want to talk about for a second, and that's called impulse buying. Impulse buying. Stores mastered this a long time ago. I, I was trying to read up on the history of it. It really started in 1963. I can't remember the guy's name in a Kmart with a blue light special. He, like some store, anyway, yeah. That, that was a long time ago. And, and now the internet, the web has just like made this all go on, on steroids. Uh, the, you know, the, the stress towards seeing something you want to do it. Has anyone here ever bought anything on Amazon? Just curious. Yeah, just what a dumb question, right? I mean, the boxes just keep coming and keep coming and coming. Uh, I, I'm sure all of you like really, really knew it, like you had planned this out for months and months and months before you bought it. Yeah, and a lot of times you do. Um, just to get some perspective on this, I don't know if you've seen this um, little sketch from Saturday Night Live or not, but let's watch this. numbers to add up. It's like we're never gonna get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. <laughs> Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have 
the money. Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Okay. If it was only that simple, right? So the cure for impulse buying is a budget. Rocket science, right? And uh, what is a budget? A budget is what we call planned spending, which is significantly different than impulse spending, right? Okay, so, you know, try, try that. Now, you need a budget. Now, you may be thinking that you, um, you know, you don't really make enough to have a budget, or maybe you make enough money that you don't really need to have a budget. Everything just seems to work. But no, this is for everyone. If, you're, if your budget doesn't quite work because you don't quite have enough money to pull it off, believe me, that doesn't quite work budget is still a lot better than your no budget. Right? So do that. And, you know, and if you think, well, I make enough money so that I really don't need to worry. I spend and I don't pay much attention to it and I come out in the black so I don't really need a budget. That's okay if only thing you're aiming for is being a money manager. Like, I just want to keep my head above water. But if you want to be a steward, like if you see what is entrusted to you as something that can not only make your life be what you want it to be and the people around you and can do the work in the world that it was entrusted you to go and do, then you need a budget. I mean, this is a priceless tool for you to be able to figure that out and to make that happen for yourself. So if you need help with that, if, you, if you're you know, struggling with that, uh, contact us or just go to uh, Lutheran Social Services in Minnesota. There is professional financial advice and debt help. It is free. It is professional. You can do it in person. You can do it by phone. You can do it um, online. So get the help you need. Um, okay, one more trap to talk about briefly here. All right, and that is gambling. Keep this short. Gambling relies on the illusion of luck, and luck is an illusion. John Yelton had it right when he advised, there is an easy way to leave a casino with a small fortune. Enter it with a big one. <laughs> yeah, my definition of gambling, gambling is a tax on people who are bad at math. Yeah, you can think about that. Okay, so um, gambling is very carefully calculated for you to lose money over time. I mean, that's what's going to happen. The people that are running the games that you play are in control of the odds. And you might win momentarily or something like that, but overall, they will always come out. In fact, the odd, you know, in the state of Minnesota, it's a 15%. I mean, that's a really good return on investment for people running gambling stuff, is that they know when they get enough people to play, they will always make a 15% win because it's mathematically worked into the games. 
and, and that's after costs that are out, okay? So that means you know you will be losing money. All you have to do is stick with it a little bit if you fail to lose money right away. A, a couple of sobering statistics. In Minnesota, the 19, in 2022, just this last, last year, the gaming industry had 4.3 billion, our state, 4.3 billion dollars in revenue, and, um, and they had a net profit of 325 million dollars. Now, put that in perspective. Our Minnesota Department of Education's budget was only twice as much as that revenue. Half as much money was spent on gambling as we spent on education in the state of Minnesota. And the uh, profits from gambling in the state of Minnesota was virtually equal to what we spent on higher education in our state. We got some problems. So gambling is a mirage and it is an addiction. It is a weight belt, it is not a life preserver, right? To keep your head above water. Uh, and it's certainly not the wings that you need to soar as a steward. So, pretty simple. If you don't gamble, don't start. If you gamble only with money that you have set aside for entertainment, fine, but be careful. If you are gambling with money, with money that you shouldn't be, stop. And if you can't stop, get help. If you don't know where to get help, contact us, okay? That Lutheran Social Services number will also help you there. So, pretty basic. It's, I wish it was as simple as that, but that's what we need to do. Okay, so to stay out of these traps, here's something to try. We call it the 10-10-80. I hope you're already familiar with this. We've talked about it a bunch of times. If you haven't heard about it before, it's pretty simple. You'll pick up on it right away. If you've got kids in our kids stuff, uh, they're all learning about it, so they can explain it to you at home too, probably better than I can. Um, but they're learning about it at the same time. Basically, um, the 101080 is a, well, if a budget is a tool for a manager, the 101080 helps transform that budget into something where it helps you become a steward, okay? So it's, it's that kind of approach to it. And it's basically this. First, share 10%, right? The first thing you do is you share 10% of your income. The second thing you do is that you save 10% of your income. And then that leaves you with 80% to spend, okay? Um, pretty simple. Now, those numbers are just numbers, and they may not be the right ones for you, okay? We put them out there as a template, but you've got to figure out what actually works for you. Some of them are goals and so on. It can be very variable for us, so don't get hung up on the numbers. Like, don't argue with us about, you know, it should be 10 or should be 12 or, you know, don't worry about that. You figure out what works for you and then do it, all right? And act on that. You've got to take some ownership of that. That's okay. Um, so let me just run through those really, really fast. That first, 10% of sharing. Uh, we talked about this last week, so feel free. Go back to that podcast and you can listen to all that. We went into it pretty extensively about how a lot of important things about that. Um, but let me just say that there's something very significant about doing this first. Before you get to your own savings and before you start spending, you have chosen, well, first you've decided what, I, what can I responsibly share? What can I share? and you've chosen where you want to do it, and then you do it. You do it, you, you give that before you, you know, start working on your savings, before you do your spending, also important uses for your money, okay? Those are also important and they're very valuable for you to do. But before you do that, you've decided to be a part of the bigger thing that you're a part of. If you don't do that, if you focus on your savings and your spending, then you like, this is, I'm gonna to try to share this, 
we're going to be dealing with leftovers, right? Like, what do I still have left over? And I don't think that's what we want to do with this money that's been, um, that's been entrusted to us. Uh, this, this sharing reflects that you are a pipe, not a bucket, right? You are something where this goes through, not just a retainer of it all. The uh, last couple of weeks I've been talking about in terms of being a distribution center rather than a warehouse, all right? And basically, it gets down to the fact that I, I think this sharing component is what makes the difference between us being fulfilled with our life or just being full. And there is a real difference between being fulfilled and just being full. Okay, so that's the first part. Share 10%. Do that first, right? Set it aside and do it. The second is save 10%. Now, that may not seem like a terribly spiritual thing to you, you know, saving, um, but part of our spirituality is to realize we are woven into something bigger than ourselves. I am not just living in this moment, and I'm going to take my, care of myself with what's entrusted to me right now. No, I've got a bigger life than that. I mean, there's stuff coming down the pike that I need to be prepared for in order so that I can respond to it. I also have to realize that my life has more than one stage. Uh, there might be you know, new callings and new things I need to do someday, and I need to be prepared for that as well. So just you know, realizing and using your, your money, your income, and so on to save, to be prepared for a, a larger life than what you can just see right now makes a lot of sense. And that's the other thing, is that it, saving just plain makes sense. And the more that I dove into this world of spirituality and getting to know this thing that is bigger and beyond us, this thing that often just gets called God, the more I realize that that all really makes a lot of sense. The, God, the stuff that God guides us to, to isn't just arbitrary things that we're supposed to do, but it's stuff that really makes sense. And saving makes sense. Doing it is something that makes sense. So uh, saving and having and living by a budget, um, you know, they all go hand in hand. I, I love this cartoon which describes a lot of our situations. There's, you know, the husband's reading the paper and the wife is doing the bookkeeping there and she says, if we continue to save at our present rate at retirement, we will owe $2 million. Which is funny, if you look at the, that was a 1956 cartoon in the New York Times. Some things don't really change. Yeah, we still are stuck there. So saving takes two things. Well, three things, three things really. Uh, first, it takes some money. Yep. It does take some money to be able to save. But avoid the how much question that may keep you from saving because you think you don't make enough to do it. Saving is an expense for your life. All right? It is something that you owe yourself. It can be the difference between being washed over by some waves when that inevitable storm comes and drowning. But yes, it does take some money. Okay? Second... Saving takes a plan. That's part of your budget, right? How much do you think you should save? Retirement, emergency expenses. Those other, like, you know you're going to have them expenses, you just don't know when they're going to come, like car repairs and stuff like that. Like, do you have money ready to deal with those things as well? All right? It takes a plan. It set goals for those sorts of things and try to save for that. Third, it takes discipline, all right? You make a plan and then you follow it. That can be a hard one to do. So w one of the things that just practical sense, set it aside before you ever see it, right? I hope most of you are doing that. You know, if you're able to do that, and when you get paid, if you get online, whatever, have part of it put into your savings account or right into your 401k, whatever. Don't let yourself see the money or get the money so that you, you know, are tempted to use it to pay your expenses or to do that lifestyle creep that we talked about before. Okay. 
So that's it. Um, like, share, determine it, then put it aside right off the top before you get a chance to use it. And parents, talk to your kids about this, all right? They're learning about share and save, the, you know, this 10 and this 10 back there right now. Um, so capitalize on that. This is the best time of life for them. It's so easy for them to share and to save right now. They think it's really fun and it's exciting. And remember what we were talking about earlier about the programming we have from our sample size of one of the household we grew up in? What if your kid's programming was included this? So when they got older and their instincts were, well, I want to share and I want to save and then I got to figure out how I'm going to spend the rest of my money, okay? I mean, that's what a great gift to give to your family. So the, the third um, number there is that 80, and that's spend 80%. You know, you're all thinking, finally, something I know how to do, you know? Yeah, um, that's, that's really true. But the challenge here isn't the spending. I mean, the challenge is keeping the spending to the 80%. But, but even more so, the real challenge is that 80% you spend should reflect what matters most in your life, your values, just as much as the 10% you share and the 10% you save. And that takes a lifetime to move things in that direction. It's about the 100%, not just the 10 and the 10. It's about the whole 100%. Now, this guideline is meant to give you a lot of latitude over your money. Your money, your wealth, your material possessions have been entrusted to you for you to figure out, for you to make the decisions, for you to decide how you are going to use them in the world and for your life. You are trusted. Your judgment is valued. It's respected. L like we heard um, last week, Jesus was never a 10% or a 20% kind of guy. Jesus is always a 100% kind of guy. Jesus reminds us, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole soul, not 10 or 20% of your mind and 10 or 20% of your soul and 10 or 20% of your strength. No, I mean, no, all of it. All of it belongs to God. All of it is where we want to go. All of it is about our values. All of, about, all of it is about what it's what's most important to us. This isn't a demand. It's not an obligation. It's not a rule. It's being part of what gives your life meaning and purpose and fulfillment. 101080 is, I think, something we can live with. In fact, I would say 101080 is something that can give our life meaning, that can help us find a life that we want to live. So let's do this together. It is hard. It's hard to get going. It's hard to figure out. It's hard to keep it going. That's why we do it together. So talk about this at home. Talk, if you're in a group, talk about this in your group. Set goals together, okay? And help each other struggle with it and figure it out and solve the problems and hold each other accountable in those friendly ways of doing it. Um, so that's why we have these goals for our community. I've been talking about these for years, and I try to mention them quite, a few, quite often. We talked about it just a couple of weeks ago, but I want to repeat it again. With Fabric, we have these goals, and they're on the bottom of your Sunday paper. It'll be up on the screen here, too. But our goals are that everyone connected to our community has a budget that they can live on, a livable budget. They have a plan for getting out of unsecured debt and the support 
to both figure it out and to pull it off and to get back on it when they fall off, which is inevitable. And, uh, you know, and that's just the key thing to do, is to have that livable budget, have a plan to get out of unsecured debt, and then the right support to figure it all out. So um, if you need help, you know, let us know. You have some ways of doing that. And use your group. Use your group if you're struggling and if you're not, okay? So let's just close. Just shake it all out. Put your pen and paper down if it's in your hands. Relax. Take a breath. Yeah, it's about your money. It matters. It matters. Because it can either be something that pulls you to the life that you know you're called to live or it can be something that's keeping you from it. We want it to be a tool to help you pull in towards it. You can bring great joy and wholeness to your life, to lives of others, and to this world with the wealth that's entrusted you. It isn't about whether you have enough or not. It's about your relationship to what you have, whether it's a lot or whether it's very little. Let it serve you. Don't surrender your life to it. And as we love one another in all things through the graciousness, the generosity, the gratitude that we experience in what has been entrusted to us, let us also help shape a world in which there is no person here who isn't able to look after their own well-being. Let us work together to create that world. You have been entrusted with part of the puzzle to do that, and so have I, and it's something that we can do together. May it be so. Thanks for listening. We hope these conversations are helpful and connective. You can find out more about Fabric at fabricmpls.com. There you can find notes from previous conversations and other resources for deepening your relationships with the threads of yourself, others, and that third strand we often call God. You can also find ways of connecting to a group, whether you're in the Twin Cities or not. You can join in supporting this community financially, too. It's through the generous giving of people like you that Fabric is sustained. Again, that's fabricmpls.com. Thanks for being Fabric in your unique way.